Hi, this is David. Welcome to episode 25 of Upward Journey Bible Study, where we study the Bible and theology. This episode focuses on learning some of the content and message of the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture quotations for this episode are taken from the World English Bible Orthodox Version because the World English Bible is in the public domain. To get the most of this podcast, it would be good for you to take about five minutes to read John chapter 2. Let's get started. First, let us get a setting for what is going on in John chapter 2. To do this, let us briefly uh, review John chapter 1. John calls Jesus Christ the Word in John 1.1. Jesus was in the beginning with God the Father, and Jesus is God. Jesus is God the Son, and he became human without ceasing to be God. Jesus reveals God the Father. Jesus is the Son of God, the Father, and he is the Messiah. Messiah means Jesus is the anointed king of God's kingdom. Jesus came to give eternal life, and he is the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God called John the Baptist to prepare the way for Christ's coming. Two of John the Baptist's disciples became disciples of Jesus. By the end of chapter 1, we see Jesus having five disciples. These five disciples were John, the author of the Gospel of John, although his name is not specifically mentioned. Then there's Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, and Philip. Now in John chapter 2, three main events occur. The first event is that Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding feast. The second event is that Jesus cleanses the temple. And the third event is that Jesus gives the sign of his death and resurrection in veiled terms. First, let us look at the wedding Jesus attended when he turned the water into wine. This is discussed in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee. Also in Galilee was a town named Cana. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was at the wedding, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited and came to the wedding. In the Old Testament, Samson's wedding feast went for a week after his marriage. Uh, Judges chapter 14, verse 12. We, don't know, we do not know how long this particular wedding feast was going on. While Jesus was at the wedding feast, the the wedding ran out of wine, which was a part of the wedding feast. Jesus' mother informed Jesus that they were running out of wine. Jesus came to respond to his mother. What does that have to do with you and me? Jesus told her that his hour had not come. Jesus acted on God's timetable, not Mary's time. This was not about Mary and Jesus, but about God the Father and the mission God the Father sent Jesus to do. Jesus came to do God the Father's will. Jesus, in performing this miracle as per God's plans and not Mary's plans. Jesus was going to do this miracle not to bring glory to himself, but to God the Father, although it did glorify Christ because he was serving God. Mary then tells the servants to do what Jesus says to do. Jesus chose what he would do. He could do, he could have done nothing. He could have said, drink something else other than wine and be content with what you have. 
Further, Jesus could have supplied the wine in any number of ways since he was God. However, Jesus worked this miracle by transforming water into wine. At the feast were six water pots of stone. Each water pot held about 20 to 30 gallons of water. These water pots were either empty or partially filled. These water pots were for purification. The Jews of Jesus' day uh, added laws that God did not require in the Old Testament. They had man-made rituals for purification. We read about this in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. The Jews and Pharisees had certain purification rituals that were followed before eating a meal. By choosing to work this miracle the way Jesus did, he was showing that his authority exceeded and transformed human man-made traditions. The miracle was not merely changing the water into wine, but the miracle was a sign that Jesus offered something better than man-made traditions could. Jesus told the servants to fill these six water pots to the brim with water and to draw some of the water out and give it to the ruler of the feast. Jesus did not tell them that the water would be turned into wine, but, that's what is, that, but that is what happened. As far as the servants knew, Jesus was asking them to draw water to bring water to the ruler of the feast. By the time the ruler of the feast tasted the water, it was not water anymore, but it was wine. The ruler of the feast called the bridegroom and congratulated him on the good quality of the wine. He said usually people serve the best wine first, then when they have freely drink, drinking or drunk, the lesser wine is served. But here he says the best wine was saved for last. We have all experienced that the first few bites of a dessert or the first few sips of a beverage affects how we taste what follows. The author of John then indicates that this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee that revealed his glory. The result was that Jesus' disciples believed in Jesus. This means their faith in Jesus grew and deepened because they had already indicated their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. Before going on in John chapter 2 to the next sign, let us discuss the issue of alcohol and the Christian. The Bible prohibits a person getting drunk. In fact, drunkards will not go to heaven unless they repent and turn to God. However, the Bible does not define drunk. So it is unclear about how much one can drink without the Bible considering you drunk, whether it is just a very little or enough to cause your speech to slur, or enough to affect your balance or enough to affect your self-control. Alcohol has many dangers. Alcohol has ruined many marriages and lives. It leads to all kinds of sins, such as sexual sins, sins of violence, sins of the tongue. It is best for the Christian to totally abstain. Even if a person can control his drinking, he may put a stumbling block to others who cannot control their alcohol. In fact, a person's drinking can become a source of temptation for others, and a bad influence in drinking may lead someone else to ruin their marriage or lose their souls. Since we have many good alternatives to alcohol, why should you risk your own salvation or the salvation of others by drinking alcohol? Drunkards are unrighteous and will not go to heaven. Often drunkards are the last to know or realize that they 
um, are really a drunk or an alcoholic. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, quote, Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor extortionists, we inherit God's kingdom. Some of you were such, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. End quote. Barnes says in his New Testament notes that in that the common wine in the time of the New Testament was just grape juice. Barnes New Testament notes. Barnes was a theologian in the 1800s. We are not told uh, either way whether the wine had alcohol or whether it didn't have alcohol in it. But Jesus would have opposed drunkenness since drunkenness is a sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus was tempted in all the ways that we are yet without sin. So we can conclude that Jesus never got drunk. After the wedding feast, Jesus and his mother and his brothers and his disciples went to Capernaum in Galilee for a few days. Then Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. In Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple, and in the temple he saw people selling oxen, sheep, doves. He also saw the changers of money. Jesus made a whip of cords and threw out of the temple the sheep and the oxen. Jesus poured out the money changers' money, and he ordered those who sold the doves to remove them from the temple. Jesus said, Don't make my father's house a marketplace. Later, this reminded his disciples of Psalm 69, verse 9, in the Old Testament, which says, quote, For the zeal of your house consumes me. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. End quote. Plus, Jesus is calling God his father by calling the temple his father's house. Jesus' authority to do this is the fact that he is God's son, the Messiah. What is the role and significance of the temple? The temple was the place God's presence and glory was manifested to God's people. God's presence needed to be approached with purity and holiness. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5, quote, Who may ascend to Yahweh's hill? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from Yahweh, righteousness from the God of his salvation. End quote. God wanted to convey the message that to come into God's presence, a person needed to confess their sins, turn from them, treat others righteously. This constitutes moral and ethical cleanness. To lay the foundation for this spiritual, moral, and ethical cleanness, God emphasized abstaining from unclean food and to make atonement for ceremonial uncleanness, such as when a person accidentally touched a corpse or touched a dead animal, uh, that wasn't, you know, properly virtued. God's word further um, defined what foods were considered clean and unclean. 
unclean food was not defiled as in the way that we would think of defiled as being contaminated with dirt or bacteria, but as animals that did not both shoe the cud and animals that did not also have unparted hoofs. For a hoofed animal to be clean, it had to both shoe the cud and have a parted hoof. Leviticus chapter 11 verses 3 to 4. Pigs have parted hoofs, but they do not chew the cud. Since they do not chew the cud, they were considered unclean. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 7. For water creatures to be considered clean, they had to have fins and scales. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 9. The sacrifice of the life of an animal by shedding its blood was a part of the cleansing from exposure to unclean items, such as touching a human corpse or such as touching someone who had leprosy. God inspired the prophet Moses about how the tabernacle was to be built. The tabernacle was the original form of the temple, but unlike the temple, it was portable and could be taken apart and moved. God ordained that before the priest could enter the tabernacle, they needed to physically wash with water and wear holy clothes. They needed to sacrifice animals before coming into God's presence. These all were symbols of the moral, ethical, and righteousness needed to enter God's presence. It was a way of recognizing God's holiness. However, this religious ceremonial cleansings were not a substitute for what they symbolized. In fact, God despised these same sacrifices he prescribed when the ones offering the sacrifices were living sinful lives. God made it clear that the cleanness he wanted was a cleanness from sinful living. God made it clear that he despised sacrifices from people who were not living righteous and holy lives. For example, God speaking to the prophet Isaiah says, quote, When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I can't stand evil assemblies. My soul hates your new moons and your appointed feast. They are a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says Yahweh. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. End quote. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. God despises those living sinful lives that think their sinfulness will be excused without turning from their sinful ways. Some people thought that giving animal sacrifices and offerings gave them a license to sin and be acceptable with God. God is saying no to that. God is saying obedience is required instead of sacrifice. In Jeremiah's day, people argued they were right with God simply by going to the temple 
even though they were not turning from their sins. Jeremiah the prophet says the following in the book of Jeremiah, quote, The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Stand in the gate of Yahweh's house and proclaim this word there, and say, Hear Yahweh's word, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship Yahweh. Yahweh of armies, the God of Israel, says, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Don't trust in lying words, saying, Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple, Yahweh's temple are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute justice between a man and his neighbor, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and don't walk after other gods to your own hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers from of old, even forevermore. Behold, you trust in lying words that can't profit. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself has seen it, says Yahweh. End quote. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Today some people treat water baptism, communion, or having once said the sinner's prayer as a license to sin and as a substitute for holy living. They are making the same error as the people in Isaiah's day and in Jeremiah's day. Jesus here is focusing on another problem. The problem was that they were conducting business in such a way that they were interfering with the worship of God. Why were these merchants selling these animals at the temple, and why were they having money changers there? First, they were selling animals because animals were used in the sacrificial system. The temple was in Jerusalem, and God permitted people to buy the animals for the sacrifices in Jerusalem, rather than bring the animals many miles from where they lived. The changing of money was a service for those who did not have the proper currency for the temple tax. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 26, quote, You shall surely tithe all the increase of your seed, that which comes out of the field year by year. You shall eat before Yahweh your God in the place which he chooses to cause his name to dwell, the tithe of your grain, of your new wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd, and of your flock, that you may learn to fear Yahweh your God always. If the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry it, because the place which Yahweh your God shall choose to set his name there is too far from you, when Yahweh your God blesses you, then you shall turn it into money, bind up the money in your hand, and shall go to the place which Yahweh your God shall choose. You shall trade the money for whatever your soul desires, 
for cattle, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or whatever your soul ask of you. You shall eat there before Yahweh your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. A payment of five shekels was taken originally to redeem the firstborn males who belonged to God. Also the shekel was a form of atonement for when there was a census of the people of Israel who God had indicated could not be numbered. See uh, Exodus chapter 30 verses 11 to 16 and Numbers chapter 3 verses 47 to 48. Also in Nehemiah's day, a third of a shekel was raised for the service of the house of God. Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 32. I have found no explicit Bible passage that provides for a temple tax to be paid each year or that the tax had to be paid by a certain currency. Here the money changers and merchants were likely conducting business in the Gentile portion of the Jewish temple, making it difficult for the Gentiles to worship God. God provided that Gentiles who believed in God could worship at the temple. Isaiah chapter 56 verses 6 to 7 says, quote, also the foreigners who join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love Yahweh's name to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath from profaning it and holds fast my covenant. I will bring these to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples." End quote. All the noise and smell of the animals and the sounds of business were interfering with the Gentiles in the Gentile portion of the temple to worship God in quietness and reverence. Jesus cleansed the temple so the Gentiles could worship God as well. Then the Jews asked Jesus for a sign to show he had the authority to drive out the animals uh, from the temple and that he had the authority to overthrow uh, the money changers to tables and to order the people with the doves to take them out of the out of the temple. So they asked for a sign uh, from Jesus that he had the authority to do this. They were demanding this particular miracle then and there to demonstrate Jesus' authority. Remember, Jesus called the temple his father's house. So they likely were wanting proof he was really God's son and then he had the authority to cast out uh, the sheep and the oxen and to pour out the money changers' money and to tell those with the doves to take them out. Jesus gave them a sign, but probably not the sign that they were looking for. In their rejection of Jesus, they would bring God's wrath upon themselves and the temple they so admired would be torn down. This happened after Jesus' death and resurrection when the Romans destroyed the temple in about A.D. 70. Jesus said if they destroy the temple, he will raise the temple up in three days. Jesus was referring to his own body as the temple of God. Jesus was God with us. John says in the book of Revelation that in heaven there will be no temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are heaven's temple. Revelation chapter 21 verse 22. The Jews did not understand Jesus here, and neither did the disciples until after Jesus had died and had been risen from the dead. 
The Jews were referring to the physical temple of Jerusalem that had been under construction for 46 years, and it was still not finished. The Jews pointed out that the temple had been under, under, under construction for 46 years and questions Jesus' affirmation that he would raise the temple up in three days. After Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what Jesus said here, and they then understood what he was talking about, and they believed the Old Testament prophecies of the atoning death of the Messiah and his resurrection from the dead. Isaiah chapter 53 foretells the atoning death of the Messiah, and Psalm 16, 9 Chapter 16, verse 9, foretells the Messiah's resurrection from the dead. See also Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. After Jesus' resurrection, when the disciples thought back about what Jesus said here, it, it affirmed and deepened their faith in Jesus. Jesus was crucified on the cross, and God raised Jesus from the dead three days later. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4, quote, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures, End quote. Now let us look at uh, John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Jesus did other signs that are not mentioned in detail, but many came to believe in Jesus because of the signs he did when he was in Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. He knew not only what they did, but their secret thoughts. Based on this knowledge, Jesus was selective in whom he trusted. People wisely do not share certain information to people they do not trust. In a similar way, Jesus focuses on revealing himself more to those open to the truth he taught. This knowledge of people's hearts and needs affected Jesus in how he ministered to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and how he ministered to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. What do we learn about God and Jesus in John chapter 2? First, we learned that uh, we can never substitute the symbol for what it symbolizes. God is not interested in ritual purity, but heart purity. He wants us to approach God in worship and reverence. One must prepare themselves to worship God by living a holy and righteous life through the week. Foundational to worshiping God is holy living. Also, the focus of corporate worship of God must be the worship of God and not a focus on other pursuits. When we come to church, we need to leave behind the cares of this world and other distractions, and focus on God's holiness, and focus on the worship of God. Secondly, when we approach God, we must approach Him with the awareness that He knows our hearts. We need to approach God with the willingness to submit to and obey God. God reveals Himself to those willing to be obedient to God. Before coming to church, say a prayer that your focus will be on hearing God's voice, and that God will give you a heart willing to obey what you learn about God from his word in church. Thank you for joining with me and listening to this podcast. Be sure to search the Bible to evaluate all teachers, including me. Check out my website at UpwardJourneyBibleStudy.com where you can learn more about this podcast and other resources for spiritual growth. Always remember to keep God first in your life. I encourage you to pray 
that God will work in the lives of those who hear his word and that people will turn from their sins and become disciples of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to pray that Christians will grow to become better disciples of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to pray that God will work through this podcast ministry to bring others to Christ and to strengthen and establish Christians. Bye for now.